Shared parenting does make it easy. I'm your host, Chris Batchelor, and this is the Parent Time Podcast. Parent Time Podcast is presented by National Parents Organization, a national nonprofit who is working hard to bring shared parenting nationwide. In today's episode, we ask, is shared parenting a good idea in high-conflict divorces? I interviewed Dr. William Fabricius as he discusses his research on shared parenting in cases where the parents are in high conflict. He also talks about how educating lawyers, legislators, and judges in Arizona help reform their family law statutes. Dr. William Fabricius is an associate professor in the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University. He's interested in the role of father-child relationships in protecting children's mental and physical health. He does research on young children's cognitive and social cognitive development. He's worked with stakeholders at the state level in Arizona to translate knowledge about father-child relationships into evidence-based social policy for divorced and never married parents. This resulted in the 2013 legislation establishing a de facto presumption for equal parenting, time, and decision-making. He's also advised other countries including Canada, Japan, and Denmark and other U.S. states on similar legislation. With that, here's my interview with Dr. William Fabricius. How are you doing today, Dr. Fabricius? I'm just fine. Thanks for asking me to uh, join in with you folks. Well, we're, we're very glad to have you. I know you've been a researcher in this area for a long time, and we're, we, uh, we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what you presented uh, at the conference. Well, we presented some new data, new findings relating to uh, parent conflict and domestic violence uh, in uh, divorced families as that relates to uh, children's long-term mental and physical health. Um, also within the context of parenting time. And uh, so the, this year, the, the focus at the uh, conference was domestic violence and shared parenting. Um, so I think all the topics kind of revolved around that. But uh, I think this one was, uh, was very direct uh, in its research, correct? Yes, I, it was very direct. So we tried to really focus on parenting time, uh, shared parenting, parent conflict, and domestic violence and look at, at how all that works together. And- and so from a, from a high level perspective, um, you know, what did you find? Was there, were there any surprises in the research and, uh, um, you know, what's the high level summary to, to start off with? Yeah. Um, there's always surprises in research. That's what keeps us all doing it. Um, in this case, we looked at, we, we looked at college students, mm-hmm. and got their reports of their experiences growing up in their divorced families. We got their reports of um, the conflict between their parents um, around the time and several years after the divorce, um, and also the reports of the domestic violence that they witnessed. Um, and we also uh, got their reports of how much parenting time they spent with mother and father. Right? Mm-hmm. And we've worked on these issues for many, many years, so we we're pretty, pretty confident in how we measure the parenting time and the conflict, we've done other studies where we've asked the mothers and fathers separately to report on parenting time and conflict, and their reports jibe very well with the young adults' reports. So people are rem- remembering these things. 
So we were particularly interested in the question of whether shared parenting is a good idea or a bad idea when there's high conflict um, and, and also when there's been uh, a history of domestic violence. Okay. The, the bottom line, well, let me say this then also, um, when we, we look at the effects of, of exposure to conflict and psychologically, what's, what's going on in the head and the heart and the nervous system of the child when exposed to these things? And what happens is that it threatens what we call the child's sense of emotional security. And that's the child's sense that someone will be here to protect me. Mom is here for me. Dad is here for me. Um, one way we measure this is in terms of how much the child feels they matter to each parent, right? Um, and we also measure it in terms of how secure they feel that their family will stay enough together to protect the child. So if you think about parent conflict um, and how the child experiences that, when the child is watching the parents in you know, high stressful conflict, the child is worried that if the parents can't at least stay somewhat together and in communication and in, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, a union, um, if they break apart, the child's left alone. Mm -hmm. And that's the fear. It's a very deep-seated anxiety. So we know from lots of other research, not just mine, but many people uh, have done this for years longer than I have, um, that witnessing parent conflict stokes this particular kind of insecurity that I'm going to be abandoned. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is we look at the reported levels of parent conflict, then how uh, that's related to the young adults now. These are 18 to 20-year-olds. They're lingering leftover sense of insecurity. And this stuff does linger. Um, when young children experience threat, distress, um, insecurity, it sets up patterns in their brain and stress response system that heightens them to worry about other kinds of stress. And that if it's extreme enough in early childhood, um, it can set up an oversensitivity to stress, which means that the, 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 the stress response system is in a chronic state of releasing stress hormones through the body. Mm -hmm. And that causes long-term, not just mental uh, health problems, but stress-related physical health problems like cardiovascular disease, a lowered immune system. Um, it interferes with social functioning. Um, it te te can tend to result in over uh, you know, uh, heightened anger responses. So it has all sorts of negative consequences. So mm -hmm. this is how we understand that threat, that exposure to parent conflict threatens the emotional security of the child that I have a parental unit there. That even if they're divorced, that they that they will be focused on me. Uh, and can work together for me when, when they need it, and then how that insecurity relates to long-term health. So putting all that in the context of parenting time, here's what we find. That as parenting time with father, let's think about it like on a scale of 0% time with dad, 
up to 50-50 time with both parents, up to 100% time with dad, right? That scale, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, in the high-conflict family during the divorce, the more parenting time with dad from about 0% up to about 30%, the child in, in a high-conflict family is experiencing more and more of this kind of stress response uh, in response to the conflict. And this has been the typical finding in the divorce literature uh, in the past, in years past, that more parenting time in a high-conflict family results in more stress and more harm to the child. The problem with the old research is that there were very few people, families, where children had 30 to 50% parenting time. Right. Turns out now we've got enough to look at. Turns out in a high-conflict family, the child's the, the young adult's lingering stress over the conflict peaks at about 30, 35% and goes down mm. at equal time. And we found this in a previous study. We found it just now in this study. Other researchers have found it. It's been a kind of a quirky funding out there. Nobody really knew if it was real, but we've confirmed it now. Mm -hmm. And here's, I think, the explanation right and it's pretty cool i think if you've got a high conflict parents and the child is worried that i'm going to be abandoned and the child's seeing dad 35 percent of the time that leaves enough time that the child isn't seeing dad for the child to worry that dad's just going to give up on this situation right 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 if dad is providing an equal home, the child's 50% time in both homes, that parenting time arrangement provides the security in the child's mind that no, neither parent's going away. You know, I see them both frequently. I have a home at both places. And, you know, we think that that's the explanation for uh, the reduced stress over parent conflict at equal parenting time and the heightened stress at 25, 30, 35% parenting time. Right. In the presentation at the conference, we then also looked back at our data and pulled out the families in which there was domestic violence. Mm -hmm. right? So we looked at the effects of experiencing domestic violence um, around the time of the divorce. Um, the independent effect of that versus parent conflict. So statistically, we can sort of separate them, right? Right. So there's some families with high conflict and no violence. There are some families vice versa, right? And we found that the, the students reported both on the, con the domestic violence perpetrated by father and perpetrated by mother, right? Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is that um, it was the when you look at the domestic violence perpetrated by the father before the divorce, you see the same pattern of increased stress when parenting time gets up to about 30% and again, decreased stress uh, when the parenting time is, is shared. Hmm. So I think it's the same explanation there. If dad has been violent towards mom, 
um, that that's a heightened type of conflict creates the same insecurity and equal parenting time um, years later has now resulted in less uh, lingering chronic stress in the young adult if they had equal parenting time. The interesting thing when the mom was the perpetrator of, of, um, of domestic violence around the time of the divorce, then the child's long-term stress was pretty high across all levels of parenting time. Wow. Um, and we think that that probably means that, um, you know, the child was worried that it, it caught whatever amount of parenting time the child had growing up. If mom had instigated domestic violence, in most cases, the child, the mom's home is the main home for the child. Right. So if she's been violent towards dad, the worry is that she might, you know, take the child away. Um, she might do something to, you know, push dad out of out of the child's life. And that that stress was sort of high and constant across all levels of parenting time. But for dad, it peaked at 30 and went down at 50. Interesting. So, um, and it, I, I think it's important yeah. <laughs> mentioning that, uh, you know, anxiety and stress in a child, uh, it really affects how they perform in school and, and how they do in you know, in their life in general, right? I mean, so the uh, optimally, we want to reduce the amount of stress and anxiety uh, that kids have when they're going through this situation, um, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of whether it's shared parenting or not. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it seems to, it's it sure sounds like the research shows that shared parenting reduces stress and anxiety for kids. Um, and is that across, you know, all situations? Is, is, is there situations where, you know, shared parenting is not optimal uh, when you look at domestic violence? No, we have not found, we have not found a case where um, we found negative, negative consequences of, of shared parenting time. Um, shared parenting time, as, just to summarize in terms of conflict, can, seems to provide the child with security in the face of parent conflict. So the mm -hmm. more parent conflict there is, the more reason for shared parenting time, and that's counter to the common, you know, assumption in, in family courts. Um, but in addition, shared parenting time increases the security of the father-child relationship, mm -hmm. even when there's no conflict. Um, so it has the benefit of strengthening the father-child relationship. Mm -hmm. It does not take away from the mother-child relationship. And it seems to be a, a source of security in the face of parent conflict. So every time, every way we look at it, we see benefits associated with it. And I will, um, I'll, I'd be happy to tell you our most recent findings regarding um, shared parenting and um, the father-child relationship because they're pretty impressive and they should be a game changer. Awesome. So what we've done in this new study is we've used a, uh, a, a big database that we have amassed as a result of funding from the National Institute of Health. Mm -hmm. uh, it's data over a 10-year period when children were aged 12 to 22. Um, and we measured uh, at five different times across those 10 years how much parenting time the child had with the father, 
mm-hmm. and how secure the relationship was with the father. Um, and basically what we find is the strongest cutting edge statistical evidence for a causal relationship between increased parenting time and increased security of father-child relationship. This has been the biggest question in this whole area of research. Does parenting time cause any of these good effects or are they just a consequence of good dads getting more parenting time? Well, our, our, our field of psychology has devised the statistics now for getting the strongest evidence for causality that that we can in a situation where you can't run a controlled experiment. Right. And we applied those techniques to our longitudinal data and the results were beautifully clear. Wow. That um, at each age, an increase or a decrease in parenting time or um, was followed one to two years later by a consequent increase or decrease in the strength and the emotional security of the father-child relationship. And relationships with parents in the early years are, as you said, Chris, um, a source of either security or stress with long-term implications for health. So we're writing up those results now, um, looking forward to seeing those published. Well, that's fantastic. And so um, so you're able to correlate the data then, it sounds like, very highly correlate the data. And uh, in, in psychology research, uh, that's, that's usually pretty difficult, isn't it? Yes, but luckily we have some absolutely brilliant people who um, have been able to, you know, devise the, the, the statistical techniques right. to control for lots of other things. So essentially in this, in this study, we can control for what would be like the good dads who typically have more parenting time. Right. Right. And within that, we all know that um, there can be a change from year to year in the parenting time. Sure. Mom might move away with the child. Mm-hmm. Dad might move away. A new step parent might come in. So you can start off with a certain level of parenting time, but there can be fluctuations. And when you focus right in on those fluctuations and control for the parent's personality, that gets you as close to observing a causal impact as we can get in the social sciences. And we've, like I said, we've seen it in our data. It's at every point where you could look at that two-year lag, and right. we see the same statistically significant results. So, well, that's incredible. And was this was this data? Did it correlate for all age ranges, or did it start at a certain age? Well, we we started measuring the families, um, big family interviews when the children were twelve, mm-hmm. up to twenty-two, and pretty much every two years we went into the homes and did huge interviews. So um, it's across. Uh, right. So it, that's it's fantastic. From ages 12 to 22. Yeah. So uh, for the younger population, because one of the arguments we hear um, from from uh, folks against shared parenting is, you know, you're not going to take a baby away from a mother, right? And I know there's a bunch of research out there that says, you know, 
I mean, shared parenting, positive shared parenting effects have been seen for all age ranges. Um, so, so what suggestions do you have to, to, uh, to sort of address that younger population? Well, we, we spent several years doing a large study of infant uh, overnight parenting time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very, very careful with the study. We got the reports from the mothers and the fathers about the number of overnights during the child's first three years. We got the parents' reports of the conflict, the socioeconomic status. We got the, uh, the uh, young adults' reports of their current uh, relationship with their parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, the results here, again, were pretty much the, exactly the same thing, that more, more parenting time relate, uh, predicts a stronger, more secure father-child relationship without harming the mother-child relationship, even when it was overnights when the child was zero to one year of age, one to two, and two to three. That's what we focused on. The, the benefits um, of of strengthening the father-child relationship from infant overnights were observed both when the parents had been in low conflict and Mm -hmm. in high conflict, and very importantly, when the court had imposed the overnight parenting time with dad over the mother's objections. Right. In all of these cases, we still see um, a strengthening of the long-term father-child relationship with uh, up, up to and including equal equal overnights during infancy. Mm-hmm. And the way we understand this is, is that, um, you know, the father, a parent learns about the child during infancy, mm-hmm. <laughs> takes the child day and night. That's how you learn to be a parent. <laughs> that's how you learn about your child as an individual. We all know this. Yeah. And that's how the child forms the the attachment to that parent and starts to recognize this parent as a consistent caregiver. Mm -hmm. And this is the beauty of studying developmental psychology and studying, you know, development from infancy on through. You can see that what happens in infancy has persistent effects. And so in this study, we, we actually, we measured the overnights during infancy then we measured the amount of parenting time during childhood and the amount of parenting time during adolescence. Mm-hmm. And when we trolled for childhood and adolescent parenting time, you still find the echoing effect of the number of overnights during infancy 18 years later on the quality of the father-child relationship. Well, that's incredible. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that at least the way <laughs> I visualize it, um, you know, the, the attachment that a child has for a mother or a father isn't like a pie. There, there isn't like a finite amount of attachment, right? I mean, just because you give the dad more attachment or the dad gets more attached doesn't mean the mom is less attached, right? Oh, I, I mean, it's not a pie. <laughs> I think, I think that's the best visual that I've, that I've seen. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. A, I'm, I'm going to use that in class. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. And, um, and then the other thing I want to touch on briefly is, um, I, I think a lot of people don't understand that these, these, um, decisions that are made early in, in a child's life to have a certain amount of time with one parent and the other, um, you know, that decision really cascades throughout their entire adult life, right? I think a lot of uh, children, adult children of divorce spend a lot of time in therapy, uh, you know, if, if they're a- able to recognize that. 
sort of dealing with these issues. Um, uh, you know, what, what's your take on that? And, um, you know, what effects have you seen sort of long-term into people that are, you know, well beyond 18 and 20 into adulthood? Well, the longest we've looked at is, um, you know, into the twenties. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, I stopped there because many, many other people have started there. Mm-hmm. So back in the 60s, there were large public health uh, studies initiated, um, mostly among you know college students or med students, people in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Right? And they were very interested back then in things like the effect of smoking, drinking, exercise, cholesterol. Right. All of the, the known causes of chronic diseases in later life. Mm-hmm. And in these studies, luckily, they happened to throw onto the surveys questions about how well do you get along with mom? How mm-hmm. well do you get along with dad? And how well do your parents get along with each other? And so we've now discovered after all of these years and all of these mountains of health data that over and above all the known suspects, drinking, smoking, exercise, diet, there's a long-term effect on health, physical health and mental health from your quality of your relationship with mom and dad and the parent conflict. Each one of them contributes to cancer, Mm -hmm. cardiovascular disease and early mortality. Wow. So, yes, that's, that's not my fault. This is this is mountains of public health data. So when when I read that and put that together with the parenting time and, and when we see that the, you know, the children who had shared parenting time um, at age 20 have less stress about the parent conflict they perceived and stronger relationships with both mom and dad. And then that predicts, you know, either it's, it predicts how much money we spend on public health in this country and how much suffering uh, people endure. And now we have, as I said, in our most recent data, we have the strongest causal evidence. We, we did the strongest test of causality possible mm-hmm. right now today. I work with I work with the best statisticians in the world on this, <laughs> the people who invented this, my colleagues. And so I'm absolutely convinced now, as much as any scientist can ever be convinced about applying data to public policy, that we can we can um, improve the public health of this country by um, by um, having states and family courts let the public know that they're going to be open to shared parenting because we also know that the public is in favor of it. But the public doesn't know that the rest of the public believe that and the courts don't know that the public believes it. So we're right on the cusp and we've, I think we've got to get this done. (laughs) I I agree. And uh, I mean, do you have any, uh, you know, any words of advice for folks out there that are trying to apply this new research to public policy? I know that, um, you know, as an advocate for shared parenting here in Kansas, um, you know, uh, change comes very slow, um, you know, and it's uh, no matter how many supporters you have, 
uh, you always have a few of those detractors that always seem to have a, a stronger voice or more, more power. Uh, mm -hmm. and so, uh, you know, it's, um, I, I think it's eventually going to change. It's just a little frustrating how slowly it happens. Uh, but you know, what can people do with this research and, and how can they educate, you know, legislators and, and, you know, and judges and things like that? What, what's your recommendation there? Well, my only recommendation is how we did it in Arizona. Um, I started presenting the research as I was doing it and as other people were, as, as it was appearing in the literature, I started presenting it to um, the family law community in, in Arizona um, starting in about 2000. Mm -hmm. And uh, from 2000 to about 2008, um, I did judicial training sessions. Um, I presented at conferences. And um, by about 2008, I noticed that the judges, the family law judges in Arizona were in favor of shared parenting. And I think what it did was it just gave them enough, gave them evidence to be able to act on what they basically knew was right. Right. Because uh, we also knew that the public was in favor of it. But it was it took a period of time of presenting the research, a answering questions. Um, and I, I think I built up credibility with the mm. family law community over the years. And right. so then when we formed a state level committee to re reform the custody statutes, um, people were already pretty much on board with shared parenting as long as we could we could put something in the law that would uh, reassure people that it wouldn't be over applied or misapplied. Right. So. Many of the anti-domestic violence uh, uh, groups and, and advocates were were totally on board if the law could, you know, ensure that uh, children wouldn't be having shared parenting in cases where they could be placed at harm. Right. So um, the law was passed unanimously, essentially unanimously in Arizona in 2013. Um, but I think it was just a matter of not forcing people, not, but, but we brought everyone to the table mm -hmm. and really discussed it and decided to be evidence-based. And I think it was because, um, people trusted the research and mm -hmm. as I presented to them, we, um, and I, I think that people in, in every state could go to their state university and find a, a child psychologist, developmental psychologist, family psychologist. We're in every department. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you approach them and say, look, can you come and do a training session on the research? Um, we're, we're supposed to, as state employees, you know, to, um, right. to disseminate the research findings. Um, but, um, I think that that is that would be a very very useful thing in every state to do, and and you have to build up credibility mm -hmm. with the family law community and the, the legislators. Um, I'd be happy to work with and consult with any of my colleagues in any state who who wanted to do that. Um, I think I think that's the way to go. So. Excellent. Yeah, certainly if you can get everybody on board, it, it makes it a lot easier because uh, I think a lot of this just comes down to, like you said, education, right? It comes down to getting people aware of the research and, and not that this is just something that people <laughs> have come up with out of the blue, right? 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got your uh, your big study that you're finishing up. Uh, what's next after that? Do you have uh, anything on the horizon or? Well, we're also trying to assess the impact of the law in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So we're trying. We're going back and looking at records, um, and and um, <clears throat> looking at um, you know whether there was a change at at 2013 when the law was implemented. It turns out that's a very interesting and difficult thing to do in the real world. <laughs> right. Um, but we've um, working with a lot of different people on that. We have a couple of strategies going on. So basically, the question is: Did the law really change behavior, or was behavior already changing and the law just sort of codified it? So, right. Well, that that'll certainly <laughs> be inter- <laughs> that'll certainly be interesting to see because um, you know one thing that I keep hearing is that people want proof that this stuff works, right? And you know, to them, it's not enough to have the research that proves it, but they also want to see that the law, that actually changing a law does, does in fact change it. So we'll be looking for that with anticipation. That, that sounds really exciting. Well, you know, we did evaluate the law in Arizona by doing a statewide survey of the family law community. Mm-hmm. Uh, got very, very, very high response rates uh, from mental health from uh, providers, from judges, from attorneys, and from um, the county uh, conciliation court directors, um, and pretty much was universally felt that the law had been a good thing, at, that at, it was now a presumption for equal parenting time, and that um, it was in children's best interest. So the family law community in Arizona is totally behind it. Um, we haven't had any attempts to repeal it, and in fact, if you talk to anybody in Arizona, from judges to lawyers, to they're proud of the law and how it's working and how they've discovered to, to uh, explain it to parents who don't, who may not understand it. And right. the judges talk about how, you know, how interesting and, and important it is to individualize equal parenting time for each family mm-hmm. and, uh, and problem solve with the parents about how to, how to do this and how to maintain it. Um, so again, state, I, I have been suggesting this to other People in other states that come to Arizona, talk to the family law community here, or you know, Zoom with them. Yeah, um, I've done that with. Uh, we had the a representative from the um, government of Japan come to Arizona to get uh, uh, information about how we we changed the law here, oh, wow. and I had uh, that that person um, travel around the state and talk to different people and talk to different counties and courts, and he came right. back and said. People are very happy about this and um, talked about how to implement it. So I think that's another strategy for, for people in, in other states. Contact the family law community in Arizona. Get sure. it from them. Yeah, that's amazing. I put them in contact with the, the individuals to talk to. Yeah, so. it's definitely it definitely helps when you can talk to somebody who's been there before because I think that that has a lot more meaning than you know, than just going through some data. So. Mm-hmm. Please contact me. I'll put you in touch with lots of people. All right. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> anything else we missed that you wanted to cover? I hope not. I'm tired. <laughs> That's a yeah, lot. you you just had a, recently had a had a long trip uh, across the country, and we uh, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to speak oh, with I'm us today. Happy, and Chris. yeah, thank you. 
And we, we really appreciate all the work that you do in this space. I mean, this is, uh, this is some amazing research that you've got and uh, look forward to digesting uh, all the new stuff you have coming out. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Thank you, Dr. Fabricius, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. So if you want to go ahead and watch the video, you can find the now that was recorded on video. If you have any questions, you can contact National Parents Organization at sharedparenting.org. Don't forget to like National Parents Organization on social media. Just go ahead and do a Facebook search for National Parents Organization and smash the like button. You're also going to find several Facebook pages for different state chapters, so go ahead and like those pages as well. And don't forget you can also follow National Parents Organization on Twitter or LinkedIn. The links to those social media sites are on the sharedparenting.org website. If you're passionate about shared parenting, the best thing you can do is get involved. And the best way to do that is by contacting your state chapter. If you head over to the sharedparenting.org website, you can find the links to your state chapter and then contact them directly to take action and volunteer. We could also use your help with donations. National Parents Organization is a nationally recognized nonprofit registered in Massachusetts. To donate, visit sharedparenting.org and click the Take Action and then Donate. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Tell us what you think on social media or by going to the sharedparenting.org website and sending us a message. Fill out that contact form and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear about what you think about the show or what you want to hear on the show, those sorts of things. So go ahead and, and send us a message. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Chris Batchelor. Thanks for listening, and together we can help bring shared parenting nationwide. Stop.